everyone, I'm Art Tomasetti, back with you for our October edition of the Flight Test Safety Podcast. For our listeners here in the Northern Hemisphere, whether you call it fall or autumn, I hope yours is off to a good start. And before we get started, a few items to highlight. The Flight Test Safety Database is once again available to everyone. Please pass this info on to your colleagues and friends within the flight test community. Thank you for all your patience and support while we've worked to get this database available again. A few weeks ago, at the end of September, the Society of Experimental Test Pilots concluded its virtual symposium. Two days filled with amazing technical presentations that wrapped up with award ceremony, annunciation of the Fellows class for 2020, and a turnover of presidents from Mr. Bill Gray to Mr. Mike Wallace. Congratulations to SCTP on an amazing event. I thought this month I would integrate our monthly focus feature with our on the web section to highlight a new resource available through our website. Now, in our resources tab at www.flighttestsafety.org, you will find a collection of papers detailing aircraft accidents and the accompanying lessons learned since the 1920s. The collection includes a summary and index together with eight Adobe PDFs that include notes and clippings about flight test accidents. Each volume has over 418 pages for a total of almost 3,000 pages. Some of the notes are handwritten and some are electronic reproductions. Many have links to active websites and the entire collection may be searched using optical character recognition technology. This collection was put together by the late Dave Houle, who was one of the founding members of the Flight Test Safety Committee. Mr. Pete Donath painstakingly edited the collection to put it in a usable form we could make available to all. According to Pete, Dave would often bring a tall stack of file folders and drop it on the desk. The timing of these visits usually coincided with company plans for an upcoming flight test campaign. As he walked away, he would mention an incident or accident and recommend that his colleague review what went wrong, what went right, what could have been done better, safer, and his words reverberate down through the ages. Please make this step a part of your preparation for flight tests. Now, if that doesn't have your curiosity peaked, let me try another tactic to get you interested. How many of you have ever used an aircraft checklist in flight test, or if you're like me, made your own checklist for your next vacation? If you raised your hand, that's okay, I can't see you, but the folks in the cubicle or the car next to you can. For all of us in the flight test community, aircraft checklists are a fundamental part of our profession and have been around as long as most of us can remember. But they had to start somewhere, right? Once upon a time, more specifically in 1935, there was an aircraft competition in full swing. The Army Air Corps was to award a contract to build its next generation long range bomber. And Douglas Aircraft Company, the Glenn Martin Company and Boeing were all competing. The Boeing entry was called the Model 299. This name may not mean anything to you, but the nickname that it would eventually be given by the press may be more familiar, the Flying Fortress. The Model 299 made its first flight on 28th of July in 1935 and made headlines a few weeks later when it flew from Seattle to Dayton, Ohio in nine hours and three minutes. The 2100 mile nonstop flight caught the attention of the Army Air Corps for the 232 mile per hour average cruise speed. This matched the Boeing P-26 Pursuit aircraft's 234 mile per hour top speed. By the fall of 1935, it was becoming evident that the Boeing Model 299 flew farther and faster 
and it carried more payload than either of the other two entries. It was most likely to come out the winner, and the Army was already considering order quantities, but they needed to complete the formalities of an official flying demonstration first. At about 9.30 a.m. on October 30th, the Model 299 manned by a very experienced crew of five prepared for flight. The aircraft taxied into position for takeoff at Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio. Observers on the ground described the initial takeoff run of the Model 299 as normal, even though it broke the ground at about 74 miles per hour in a tail-low attitude. As its speed increased, the bomber's nose went up much higher than normal. The aircraft stalled, turned 180 degrees, and fell back onto a field. It landed on its left wing, which likely cushioned the impact. Lying flat on the field, the bomber burst into flames. Amazingly, the crew managed to egress the aircraft, although sadly, two would later die from the injuries they sustained. So why highlight this accident in a discussion about the origins of aircraft checklists? If you were to review the proceedings from the Board of Investigation for that accident, you would find that one of their recommendations was, on all large multi-engine aircraft, where more than one pilot is required in order to properly operate the multiplicity of controls, that specific duties be prescribed for the pilot, co-pilot, and for each member of the crew to the end that the pilot may be relieved of the burden of detailed supervision of all of the valves, controls, and indicators which adorn the control cockpit of modern multi-engine airplanes. Now that recommendation doesn't specifically say develop a checklist. It does indicate a more complex aircraft and resultant higher workload for pilots. One answer might have been to require pilots to undergo more training. But it was hard to imagine having more experience and expertise than the pilots that were in the cockpit of the Model 299 that morning. Instead, an ingeniously simple approach was taken. Create a pilot's checklist with step-by-step -step checks for takeoff, flight, landing, and taxiing, and the responsibility of the pilot and co-pilot. Now, some accounts credit the Army Air Corps, some credit Boeing, and some credit a group of test pilots with developing that first checklist. I will leave you to try to solve that mystery, but in the end, something so seemingly simple and something we almost take for granted today came into existence. You can read the full accident board proceedings in the archive to find the full account of their findings and recommendations. There are also a few other documents in the archive on this accident. There's an excerpt from the National Museum of the Air Force's archives, an aircraft accident analysis, and an interesting letter from John Carroll Cohn, Assistant Director of Air Commerce for the Department of Commerce in Washington, to General Oscar Westover, Acting Chief of the Army Air Corps at the time, requesting to exchange information on this incident. His goal, and I quote, to make a study of the cause with a view to taking such precautionary measures that may be necessary in our airline regulations to minimize the possibility of another accident from a similar cause. So let those words sink in for a minute. One organization asking another organization to share lessons learned from an incident so that procedures could be developed to prevent the repeat of something that caused the accident. That is very interesting. 
This is just one accident you can read about in this vast archive. I encourage you to get on our website and take a look. Now this is the spot in the podcast where I would normally talk about what you can find in this month's flight test safety fact. And if you're looking for your October edition, don't panic. The flight test safety fact has moved to an every other month publication, so you will see it again in November. You can, however, go back and find any editions of the newsletter you may have missed by going to our flighttestsafety.org webpage and clicking on the news tab at the top. Turning now to some upcoming events, the Society of Flight Test Engineers 51st International Symposium will take place as a webinar 20 and 21 October. You can find registration information on their website at www.sfte.org. The International Test Pilot School will be hosting its annual flight testing seminar on 11 December, and the call for presentations is now open. For more information, please visit their website at www.itpscanada.com. Well, that'll wrap us for this month. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If so, please share it with those you think might benefit from hearing what we have to offer. We also welcome your feedback. Send us an email or let us know in the comments section of your favorite podcatcher. And until next month, be safe, be smart, and be ready. Thank you. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time2climb.com.